Is there anything too hard for the Lord? We could resoundingly say this evening, no. There is nothing too hard for our Lord to do. He can work anything out any way that he wants to do it. And it's a wonderful thing. And so Abraham, he accompanies uh, these three heavenly beings. And, of course, the Lord goes back to glory. The two others go into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know the story. And so I want to take just some few thoughts from that, and that'll be my thoughts this evening. And I want to emphasize at the end uh, what I'm concerned about tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, then I'll talk to you for a few minutes and then preach just a little bit. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be here these days. I pray that you'd bless this church for their kindness. The kindness is a reflection, I think, of their pastor's kindness to me and my family over the long years that we have known him and his wife and Brother Max and his wife and family. They've had an impact on me, and it's been an eternal one. Now, I pray that you'd help me tonight to be an encouragement to folk to give we can't outgive the Lord. It's impossible. There's nothing f- too hard for you to do. And you can work in marvelous, wonderful ways in our behalf. And I pray you'd help us to recognize that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1945, uh, Dresden fell. It was the collapse of the Third Reich. It was completed. The Russians came into Dresden. They raped and pillaged that once imperial city. I've been to Dresden on several occasions. I preached around there. They took 5,000 captives and marched them to Siberia. Only 1,500 of them made the trek. And amongst that 1,500 that lived... There was a man that spoke one day in my father's pulpit and told the story. His name was John Noble. His father owned the largest camera company in the world before World War II. He was, they were American citizens. Of course, they lost it all. He spent the entire uh, seven, eight years of World War II. It started in 37 and 38. In his part of the world, he spent it under house arrest. He marched across Russia. He was one of those 1,500 that lived. He spent the next several years as a slave in Soviet Russia in the Arctic. He had to go down under the ground 900 feet as a miner. And uh, walked three miles through a tunnel to get to the place where they were working. It was a horrible, horrible time for him. They lived on meager fare, just a, less than a biscuit for breakfast and maybe a half a glass of water and work all day in the mines and then come back and maybe get a little bit of vegetables and maybe another little uh, piece of bread that was... Uh, uh, nearly spoiled and something to drink. Day after day, 
working in that tunnel. He and several others that were Christians would sneak away. They didn't have a Bible, but they would share little scraps of scripture that they had remembered, remembered, maybe from Sunday school, maybe sitting there at their grandmother's knee and hearing her talk about God, and they would share those stories. He said, down in the depths of the earth there in Soviet Russia, he enjoyed the greatest church services that he had ever attended in his life. For where two or three were gathered together, there would God be in the midst of those men in those great, great difficulties. I don't know why sometimes we look at missionaries. I will say this about John Noble. That was his name. He was bargained out of Soviet Russia in the Eisenhower administration. And he became the Tupperware king of the United States of America and a very, very wealthy, wealthy man. And sometimes we look at missionaries perhaps that come to our churches and we say, well, uh, here's another bum uh, trying to get our money. Here's another loser trying to fleece the flock. That would be a horrible way to think about a servant of God interested in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be, we need to have our heart moved by the fact that young men and young women or even middle-aged folk would have a desire to go to places perhaps we're not willing to go to give the gospel to a lost and dying world. I, I have a little three-point outline. I'm probably not going to stick by much of it. But when I talked in verses 5, 6, and 7, and 8, and mentioned those uh, things that he was going to feed, there's the provision. The provision. It was cakes and calves. And I want to say to you tonight, perhaps, and it's been illustrated by Brody up here, uh, getting a dollar and getting another dollar and then getting a five dollar bill and that kid sitting next to me a little bit upset that he wasn't the guy getting the money. <laughs> if you will give your cakes and your calves, maybe one day God will give you a cow. Maybe he'll give you a bakery. Maybe he'll dump on you the wonderful things that he can supply. And if you notice in verse number seven, he said to that young man, he said, you go and get that calf. Now, listen, if there was a calf, there had to have been a cow and there had to have been a bull. And there's probably a lot of calves and a lot of cows and a lot of bulls. There was a herd there. And God help us to see that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He wants to help us and supply and give to our benefit. Your gift, your gifts can grow to your benefit. Verse number eight, they ate, they ate what they, and they did eat. I, I like that. 
we've been fed this week wonderfully. Frankly, I don't think I paid a nickel to eat all week. I've done good. God will take care of you. You say, well, I didn't get to come over and eat. I guess you could if you wanted to. But uh, and really, that not ought to be the only motivation for giving to missions. It ought to be getting the gospel to a world. And then it's a very personal thing. Look there in verse number 16. The men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. It was a personal thing. He, he accompanied, he accompanied them. And I think there are places in the world that perhaps the doors are closed to the gospel, but thankfully, uh, the gospel can penetrate anywhere in this world. It is paramount. And I think sometimes, and my brother John, God bless his heart, uh, doing this work with Bibles, uh, where I have the Baptist bread printed, uh, they put out gospel tracts and give them for free. There's a place just uh, 15, 20 miles from where I live. Uh, the Fellowship Track League, they give out, uh, they've given billions of tracts over the years. They give them for free around the world. And I, I, I thank God for materials. I thank God for methods. I thank God for manuscripts, what John puts out, the Bible, tracts, and etc. I thank God for the money. But the great need is men. Need men to carry the gospel to the world. God could have put the gospel in the throat of a bird. He could have put it in the heart of a raindrop. He could have put it in the whisper of the wind. He could have hung it out on the stars. He could have put a banner on the Big Dipper. You must be born again. He could have done it anyway. But he gave the message to men. And it takes money. And it takes materials. It takes all of that. But that's God's will. That's how he chose to do it. To send men into his vineyard. He assigns men to various places in the world to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, God help us to get it out of the tent. Here's old Sarah. She's snickering in the tent that she's going to have a child, then lying about it. Uh, the, the ultimate question tonight, will we get the money out of the tent and get it into the hands of men and young couples and others that would carry the gospel to a lost and dying world. I, I think the church uh, could be like the ranch where uh, we raise missionaries. That some would come from your house. Brother Robinson talked about uh, having missionaries on the field. I support one of his children. I don't know, is it a boy or a girl that I support? Which one do I support? It's the girl, it's the daughter, right? And she's married to the Hofmeister boy, right? Am I right? I don't want to be giving the money to the wrong people. <laughs> but when they come out of your house, they come out of your garden, with someone who sits in your row, when God touches them and calls them, and sends them and out of your house. What a tremendous thing that is. Now those are just a couple of quick thoughts. 
I want, to, I want you to look at verse 22 and I want to develop this just a little bit. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Abraham stood before the Lord. You know, it's more than when you're going to say you're going to pray for a missionary. It's more than putting their prayer card on your refrigerator. It's not stacking them up and so you got a great collection of missionary cards, prayer cards. It's praying for them. The dropout rate, I'm on a mission board, been on it, I don't know, for, I don't know, 20 years probably. The dropout rate is phenomenal. Those that go and don't stay for whatever reason, about the average now, the average missionary from America, over 80% are over 55 years of age. I know you don't believe this, but I'm over 55 years of age. I don't, we're running out. Now, I know these old men that come home and really they have no business going back. Their health is gone. But they go. It's such a compelling thing in the depths of their soul. They just have to go. And then you have widows. My dear friend, John met his widow just the other day. Randy Pike. I've supported Randy Pike as a missionary. Not because of what he was doing, but what he did. He basically had to retire. He's paralyzed from the waist down for over 70 years. And yet did tremendous work around the world. I talked to the daughter the other day and then Edine called me. His wife called me on the phone. And I said, now, sweetheart, you don't have to worry. I'm going to keep on supporting you. I'm going to send the money. And she said, I figured you would. I knew you would. Uh, we, we need to support widows. Indeed, those that whose husband perhaps has, has died. And I, I don't have I, I I send money to your pastor's wife's mother. She's a widow. And uh, I wish I could figure out how to do it so she doesn't have pay taxes on it. Maybe I'll start sending her cash or something like that in the mail. Here's what I want to leave at the doorstep of your heart tonight. Forget any, everything else I said. In Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1, the Bible said, Lord, the, the, the people, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. And I want to give you a couple, three thoughts on how to pray for missionaries. Um, when my sister died, I don't know, John, how long ago it was. Was it 15, 18? What year? 2011, so that's 13, 14 years ago, whatever, when she died. My brother Dan was there. We all, all of us boys spoke. My father spoke. Her husband did a tremendous job. But when he got up, he said, he said, uh, Mary, my, my sister's name was Mary. He said, Mary gave me the outline that she wanted me to preach at her funeral. And it was a pretty good outline, frankly, and he preached it, and it was great. Probably couldn't get one on his own, I don't know, but 
And maybe she wanted to preach. But my brother Dan said this at the funeral, and I never thought about it before. He said, Mary and I have something in common. Their missionaries been up in Nova Scotia for 40 years. He said, Mary and I had something in common that the other boys didn't have with her. That we were not at home anywhere anymore. Not at home when they came back to Michigan because they'd been on the foreign field for forever. And not really at home in that foreign country because they're still looked at as Americans. Not at home. But I will say this. There is a home where we're all accepted. Those of us that have been born again. So you need to pray specifically for the wife and the children of your missionary. Call them by name if you can get their names. Pray for the wife and the children of the missionary man. Then pray that they learn the language. Not just to learn the language, but that so they can commute, uh, communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've preached in over 40 countries of the world, and I never learned any of the language. I always spoke to an interpreter. I was in Romania one time. A guy kind of got in trouble. He was passing out tracts, and uh, somebody had given him a little lingo to say in uh, the Romanian language. And what he was saying to people uh, as they passed by, men and women, would you marry me? Would you marry me? Would you marry me? (laughs) He was ugly. Nobody wanted to marry him either. (laughs) I had a preacher friend went to Russia. He went to Russia and he got up. You know, we have things, you know, if I said, uh, you know, some colloquialism tonight, everybody in this room would know what I'm saying. But he got up and he said, the first thing he said, crowd of people, he said, I'm tickled to death to be here. And the interpreter looked at him and said, this guy wants you to come up and scratch him till he dies. (laughs) The gospel is a lot more important than that. Pray that they get to that place where they can communicate the truths of the gospel. Pray that they have power over satanic, satanic oppression, spiritual oppression. Listen, there's... There's places in America, there are, there are towns in America that I go to, and you just know the devil lives there. I have a son that lives in Pinckney, Pinckney, Michigan. It's five miles from a city in Michigan called Hell. Now, who in the world would be stupid enough to name a city Hell? And then who would be dumb enough to live in that city? Live in hell and go to hell. I don't think there's a Baptist church there either. But pray that they'd have power over spiritual depression. Then pray that they could handle culture shock. You know, I can handle some things my wife can't handle. And I've talked to a lot of missionaries over the years. And, you know, uh, especially on the mission board. And we have questions we have to ask. And, well, have you ever been, have you visited the field? And the man will say, well, I have. But my wife hasn't. I would say a percentage. I don't know what it is. I don't want to just speculate. But there is a there is a great number of missionaries. The guy goes. He can handle the difficulties. He can take the rough stuff. But you put that wife on the field. She can't handle it. 
We saw, my wife and I saw a man in the basement of a church within the last six months. John would know his name if I called it. He took his, he made a missionary trip himself to the Philippines. He didn't take his wife. He didn't take his kids. His wife was so traumatized. They came home after one year of being there. She never spoke one word for two solid years. Her children all got into, I won't even mention, when we saw this man within the last six months, he called his son's name, his son's into the wickedness stuff you could possibly think of. He said, my son's coming to live with me. We'll get, hopefully get him back in church. Will you pray for him? I put him on my prayer list. I know what that boy has done. He's been wicked. Pray that they can handle the culture shock. Pray for the education of their children. Where are they going to go to school? How are they going to learn? I see missionaries travel the country, singing groups, singing the country. You know, their kids, they're homeschooled. They're, they're uh, 18 years old and they have a sixth grade education. That's not too good of an education. Pray that they can get educated. Pray for their medical problems. When you're young, like Jingleheimer Smith, I'm going to call you that the rest of your life. I don't even know what your real name is. I know it's J&J, right? Jensen, Jensen. They're young. They got strength. I mean, they could do it all. I mean, between 20 and 60, I don't think I had a health problem. I don't think I had anything. Neither did you. We were in perfect, wonderful shape. Now look at us. We're a mess. We're both, we're both cancer survivors. She got cancer about seven years ago. I got it about the same time. We've made it through it so far. We, she has to go see the cancer doctor. I have to go see my cancer doctor. I see my cancer doctor next week, I believe. I have to go get a test, then go see him next week. Your health. Pray for their health. Pray that God would keep them well. And pray that God would take them through the valleys. You see, this is what I believe. I got this from Oswald Chambers. God makes us to break us. And then he breaks us to make us. He makes us to break us. And then he breaks us to make us. It's those negative things so often that come crashing into our lives that build the steel that keeps us faithful and keeps us on the right track doing what we ought to do. I met a wonderful family some years ago. And uh, when my son Jordan was uh, working in Sautillo, uh, Mexico, uh, there was another family there. I knew the father. I never met the son. Their name is Sankey. And uh, Mark Sankey and uh, my son Jordan, they were in the same town. They were there in Saltillo, and they became friends. Really, their wives became uh, really good friends. And uh, Jordan left and moved. Uh, he, Jordan's been three or four. He started in Veracruz, went to Saltillo, and now he's up in wherever he's at, San Luis. But... Uh, I met this family. They're wonderful, godly people. He had a fella from the States come down. They had a little crusade. Uh, he's interpreter. 
he grew up in uh, Guatemala or somewhere down there uh, farther into uh, that part of the world, that uh, Spanish-speaking world. And, and he came to Mexico and was over several churches there. And so he had this guy come down, and I've met this man too, and I've heard his story. He came down uh, to preach a series of meetings in those various churches. Well, he was taking him back to the airport about uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. They were traveling along the highway, heading uh, to the big city, Monterey, heading to Monterey. And so on the, uh, there were some huge rocks in the road. And my friend, Mark Sankey, he said, speed up, speed up. Or he was driving. He said, we got to speed up. I got to get through this. We're, we're in trouble. And about that time, a rock, a big rock, came through the windshield and hit Mark right in the face. It uh, broke his nose, broke all of his orbital bones, uh, gave him a concussion. And uh, he said to uh, John, was the other fellow's name, he said, you press on the accelerator. You tell me where to go. We got to get out of here. They'll kill us. They sped away from there. Here's a guy blind driving. Another guy's pushing on the accelerator. They're just flying down the highway. The windshield's out. They come. Uh, he says, we gotta, I, I got to get to a hospital. I, I, I got to get somewhere to get some help. Bleeding profusely. He stopped into a, they pulled into a little cantina that was open. 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning now. And he's, uh, he, this fellow that doesn't even speak English, he goes into the, place to try to get somebody to come out and help. And a man, a tall, white-haired man, he said in a pinstripe, blue, vested suit, tie, walked out from behind a counter and said to him, three miles down the road, there's a hospital. There's two hospitals. There's one on the left and one on the right. You take him to that hospital on the right. He started out of that little cantina and he turned around. The man was gone. There was nobody there. He jumped back in the car and he said, Mark, three miles down the road, there's a hospital where to go to the one on the right. Sped down there, pulled into that hospital. He helped Mark in. There was a medical doctor there. The greatest brain surgeon in Mexico. He was supposed to have gone back to Mexico City, but he missed his plane that evening. And he was there staying in that hospital that night till he could catch a plane in the morning. Long story short, he worked on Mark. Mark's still up today. I saw him last summer. He cannot, he didn't have COVID. He can't smell anything. He can't taste anything. Hasn't now for six or seven, eight years, whatever it's been, that long, long time. He'd tell that story about the grace of God and that individual being there, whatever that individual was, that helped them get to the right hospital. I heard uh, John Parker is the other fellow's name. I heard him tell the story. And he said, the only thing that kept me on the road, the windshields out, was I could, there was a guardrail all the way that three miles plus to the hospital. 
So he told us, he was telling the story. Mark Sankey was in the auditorium. He told him after the service, he said, John, there was no guardrail. There was none at all. He said, oh, yes, there was. Have you heard of guardian angels? I've heard of guardian uh, guardrails that led him all the way to that hospital. If you would just pray, just pray earnestly for your missionaries. I don't know if you have a list of them. If you got them on the bulletin, got them on something, you need to pray for them every day. One reason I'm on there. My son Jordan's on there. Others are on there. We all need prayer. We need to pray one for another. I pray for your pastor and your assistant pastor every day that the world goes around. I pray for my brother John every day that the world goes around. I'm going to put Jingleheimer Smith on my prayer list. God will know who he is. (laughs) Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes. I pray that you'd help us to pray faithfully. I pray you'd help us to pray fervently. There are missionaries around the world right now that are in serious trouble. They're in difficult circumstances. They're at wit's end corner. We're all aware that the world shrunk a lot. When missionaries used to go to the field, it was for years and years, and some never came home. I pray you'd help us. And they're going to give money. People in this church, some are going to sacrifice. Some are going to give out of a heart of love and of necessity. But I pray you'd help us to offer the faith promise of prayer. The faith promise of praying daily for our missionaries around the world. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know if I said this here. I've said it a lot lately. My dad's prayer list when he died had 2,991 names on it. Pray for those people every day. Religiously. Committed to that prayer list. Those 2,991 names, they all had wives. They all had, most of them had children. Their names weren't on there, but he prayed for their wives and their children, and most of them by name. I have no doubt that sainted warrior prayed for thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people over the years of his prayer life. Brother Randy Pike that just went to heaven, his prayer list and prayer life was potently powerful. May God help someone to pick up the mantle of being a prayer warrior. You may not be able to give as much as someone else. And I and like I think the kids, there was a song, I believe, maybe it was last night uh, by the couple about the widow. The widow's might. She put everything she had in. May God help us to solemnly and sincerely trust God and commit tonight what God would have you give.
to worldwide missions. God bless you, church. God bless you as we pray about it and as you give.